Mark your calendars. Canada's Agriculture Day is on February 22nd, 2022. Canadians from coast to coast will be celebrating the food that we love and the people who produce it. On February 22nd, celebrate Canadian agriculture and food both online with friends, family, and coworkers, and let everyone know how you feel about this awesome industry. Learn more about Canada's Agriculture Day and how you can join in the celebration by heading to the link in today's show notes. Welcome to the Rural Woman Podcast, a platform for women in agriculture, ranching, homesteading, and more to share their stories. I'm your host, Caitlin Dubin. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the Rural Woman Podcast. This week, you'll meet Megs Reynolds. Megs grew up in Calgary, Alberta, and had a 10-year career in the Canadian film industry before trading film sets for tractor cabs and moving to a grain farm in southwest Saskatchewan. Megs jumped right into farming, starting an apprenticeship as a heavy-duty mechanic at a local equipment dealer, as well as learning to run all of the equipment on the farm. In 2013, Meg started sharing her farm story online, advocating for farmers, sound policy, and mental health, as well as creating videos explaining how equipment works and why it's used on farms. This led her to many speaking opportunities, including testifying to the Agriculture and Agri-Foods Standing Committee twice. Meg's now works for an agricultural manufacturing company in her sales and market development role, she is able to utilize her background as a former mechanic and grain farmer. Megs can still be found making videos about farm equipment, manufacturing, and advocating for agriculture around the world. This conversation that I had with Megs is one that I will remember for a long time, and I so appreciate all of the work that Megs has done for agriculture and specifically being a voice for women in agriculture. We cover a lot of topics today here in this episode with Meg, so be sure to check out the show notes for links and other information, and you can do that by scrolling down on your podcast player or head on over to wildrosefarmer.com to get all of the information. Before we get to Meg's interview, let's go over this week's listener review. This five-star rating and review is titled Beyond Grateful for This Podcast. Thank you for this podcast and everything that you do. I grew up in conventional agriculture, now work in renewable energy, and am striving to create a small farm of our own. This podcast is a hub of information, innovative, and inspiration for women in agriculture, and I am so grateful for your work. Thank you, Jenna Gale via Apple Podcasts here in Canada for your kind rating and review. And my friends, if you haven't left a listener review, I would encourage you to do so on whichever platform allows you to leave listener reviews. Without further ado, my friends, let's get to this week's episode with Meg. Megs, thank you so much for joining me on the Rural Woman podcast today. I am very excited to get to chat with you semi-face-to-face here on the Zoom. So I'm very excited to chat with you. Thank you so much for having me on. It's I've been following you for a while and it's great to finally connect. Yes, it's so great. I was just saying right before we hit record, I feel like I've known you for many years, but now we get to make it official here on the podcast. We're officially friends now, Megs. <laughs> For my listeners who are unfamiliar with you, give us your background and uh, how you got your start in agriculture. Well, I grew up in Calgary, Alberta, and my grandpa and my uncle had a ranch in southern Alberta near Pincher Creek. So growing up, I got to spend weekends and some summers out around the cattle side of agriculture. Definitely didn't know anything about the crop side of agriculture, though. And I had a 10-year career in the Canadian film industry before I met my ex-husband and traded film sets for tractor cabs and moved out to a grain farm in southwest Saskatchewan. Really, the only thing that I knew about grain farming at that point was that at some point, everything's going to break down. 
And that little bit of knowledge never failed me. So coming to the farm, I obviously wasn't going to be doing film out there and, and needed a job off farm. So I figured if I could apprentice as a heavy duty mechanic, that would be a great fit for also then being able to help on the farm and have a useful skill. So I started learning to work on equipment, uh, working at a local Agco dealership while I was learning to run all of the different pieces of equipment on the farm and learning how to grain farm and and when we plant and what we're doing and why we do it and all of those things. And because of growing up in the city and then especially with film, I had a lot of misconceptions about how things are growing, uh, the tools that farmers need to be successful, and a lot of fear surrounding food and, and some of those tech pieces. And so when I came to the farm and really dove into learning and, and understanding why things are important and changing my viewpoints on, on our food and how it's growing, I decided that I wanted to try to have a conversation with the person that I used to be. And that's when I started getting on social media. So I think that was about in 2014 is probably when I started trying to get on social media and talk about what we were doing on the farm, why we were doing it. Obviously, I've always had a bit of a fascination with equipment and so got into making videos about what the equipment is, why we're using it, how it works, what's really cool about it. What are the things we're already doing to, you know, reduce the products we're using, be more sustainable, et cetera. And then obviously also in that time frame became a mom of two little girls. And so I really wanted to involve them in the conversation to show other parents that you don't need to be scared of feeding food to your children. You don't need to stand at the grocery store and be worried about how it was growing because here's my two kids very involved in the farm and they're eating lentils out of the field and doing other stuff because it's safe and and we're okay with that. So from being online and, and trying to have that conversation, that got me into policy engagement, doing some grassroots lobbying and really trying to help create policy in Canada and also then later on in the world that helped farmers and was beneficial to farmers and not just from the standpoint of what tools we have access to, but also in and around mental health and trying to have support there and, and trying to have an understanding of the challenges that are in agriculture, not just the stress points in the way that our business cycle is, but also the stigma and that cowboy up uh, mentality that is still very, very strong in the industry. And from that, then I ended up running for government in 2019, which I narrowly missed, but that took me off farm. There's a lot of personal stuff that went on with farming and, and the mental health piece that kind of contributed to the breakdown of my marriage. And so now I'm working at an agricultural manufacturing company doing sales and marketing. So I'm still in that space working with the equipment companies and I've kind of come full circle now with them. And then I also consult on the side to companies that are looking to pivot in their industries or scale up. And I handle government communications and help them with the different grant funding from a provincial and a federal level. You have gone completely full circle <laughs> and maybe a few times around. <laughs> Oh, man, there are so many things to dig in here with you, Megs, and I'm so excited to do so. One of the things that you said to me that stuck out and was very powerful is you started to share your story online, you know, eight or nine years ago now, and started having a conversation with who you used to be. And I think that is so extremely important and powerful for us to repeat and say over and over and over again, you started to share your story online, you know, not only as a connection to other people in agriculture and women in agriculture specifically, but you were sharing your story in a sense of what you didn't know and what you knew other people in cities didn't know. Because I myself grew up in town, in city, not knowing anything about agriculture. And the only thing I knew is I went to the grocery store to get my food. And from whatever marketing that I heard on the radio or saw on television really, you know, made me think of, is this food safe or is this food better than this food because it has this label on it or whatever it is. So I think that's so powerful and so important to really focus on right now. What do you think were, like, going back to, you know, nine years ago, what were some of the initial conversations that you started to have with people online about, you know, what you didn't know prior to becoming a farmer? I really started with that GMO piece and that conversation because that was something I'd read all of these books and, 
you know, I really fed in that the anti-GMO movement has done such an incredible job of lobbying and lobbying people to believe that things are scary when they're not and that we should fear them. And as humans, we make decisions using emotion and we're never going to get away from that. And so it's very easy to influence people through fear, influence parents, influence people who are caretakers of others, that you can't be 100% certain that you're not contributing to their illness or other things going on and to feed that fear. And so that was really the piece that I wanted to start with because coming to the farm and learning, it was like, no, this is incredible. Like this technology is allowing farmers in drought stricken areas to still be able to get a crop off. And it's allowing farmers to be able to reduce the herbicides and pesticides they need to use because they have a seed that's been developed to work with the the good bugs in the field and in the soil and and be detrimental to the bad insects and just finding all of the amazing ideas. And I think trying to help fill that communication piece where agriculture just kept steaming along with all of these inventions and not communicating to consumers. And when I say consumer, that's all of us. It's not a us versus them. It's we're all consumers and we it's important for us all to understand and, and to trust and the way we get to trust is through understanding. And, you know, a hundred years ago, we were all connected to the family farm. We had someone in our lives that was farming and now we're three generations removed. And unless you're connected, like both of us coming from cities and towns, unless you're involved, you don't have a lot of understanding outside of possibly growing some food in a backyard garden as to how that food is grown, produced and how it ends up in the grocery store. Absolutely. And like, I always feel like we kind of have like that secret sauce, that secret advantage over the folks who were born and raised in this industry, because that's all they know. That's all they know. They have lived on their farms or their ranches, and they've seen, you know, all of the work that goes in and the technologies that is required to feed the world. And they know the advantages and disadvantages of these different methods. And unless there's a way that they can communicate that with a consumer outside of agriculture. Sometimes it feels like we are just yelling at a wall. And it's funny that we're talking about this, diving into this. Had a conversation earlier today about how consumers receive information and how they want to receive information. And I am of the stance that I'm not here to educate anyone because you can't be educated unless you want to learn. I'm here to share the stories of what we're doing, share like the insider background information. And if that's what consumers are seeing, then I think they can make that human connection that farmers are humans. We're not superhumans. We don't do anything different. This is just our industry and this is what we know. And, you know, I don't know about their industry and I hope that they don't expect that they should know everything about ours. But I think an important piece here is the curiosity piece in it. As a consumer, we can be curious about our food and curious about where it comes from and how it's made um, and what equipment was used and how, you know, that equipment is, you know, miles and miles further in technology and advancements than what our grandparents used how many years ago, right? So... Yeah, it's it's an interesting piece. And I'm curious to know, from nine years ago, from starting this journey online, where are you at today with sharing this online? And what are some of the differences or maybe some of the advancements, I would say, consumers have made to nine years today of what they know and what they want to know? Ooh, that's a tough question. I think one of the biggest challenges, and you kind of touched on it, is that we it's very easy to end up in silos. And so when you're within an industry, and that doesn't just need to be agriculture, it's very easy to, even though you're trying to communicate outside of that industry and share outside of that industry to actually get that message out, what I would say is changing more is that there is more curiosity from consumers and wanting to know where their food's coming from, how it was raised, that farm to table piece. My fascination and my pa passion is, is very policy specific. Ultimately, there's not a lot we can do without policy that supports it, whether those tools or that tech comes in, whether consumers want A, B or C, the policy needs to be there, the regulatory system needs to be there to support that. And 
their government now is coming more and more into agriculture and that will continue to happen, especially as we move forward with that sustainability piece, global warming, all of those things. There's going to be more focus on what are we doing in agriculture and how can that be advanced and changed? So I think being able to have that conversation and put information out there for people that are curious for those in the industry is so important. And for all of those in the industry, not just conventional farming, organic, regenerative, like there, everybody needs to work together. And I think that one thing that we really need to remember when we're in that communication cycle is that anytime somebody wants to have a conversation with us, that is the gift. And we need to be kind and we need to stop getting frustrated when people don't understand. And we need to stop attacking people who might post something or share something that doesn't fit with what we're doing or is not true to what we're doing because all we're doing in agriculture or in any industry when that happens is we're saying we want to have a conversation with you but we're you come in here and we're we're going to fight you know we're going <laughs> to we're going to be all up in your face if you don't agree with us and i think that that's probably one of the biggest things that i've seen evolve and it's it's still there especially in certain social medias and it's one of the biggest things that we need to stop whether that's in how we communicate with other consumers, how we communicate with government and how we communicate with the corporate companies that are working within that food sphere. Right. Oh, stitch that on a pillow, Meg. That is, uh, <laughs> I know it is a problem that you and I have both faced and we'll get into more of that a little bit later. But one thing I want to focus on a lot here is the work that you've been doing in respect to mental health in agriculture. You have been a mover and a shaker in this area in agriculture, and I want to take a minute here before we dive in more to say thank you for that, because it is policy and it is changes that have been needed in this industry for much longer than I have been a part of it. So thank you for doing that. But let's share with the listeners a bit more about how you got into being an advocate for mental health in agriculture. I really had a tipping point in 2016 and, you know, we'd had a very challenging year with a lot of moisture, like triple the moisture we would normally get during a growing season. We were going into harvest with fields too wet to get into with equipment. And we had a hailstorm that came through and in about 10 minutes, it decimated about 90% of our crops. And not growing up in the farm, I had never been exposed to something like that. And that would have been my third season farming. And, you know, we had some, we had tried some new insurance policies, private insurance policies that year that even though we had them in place, we didn't quite with that devastation tip below where we would have payouts with them. And I just felt it was the first time that I understood how in farming your self-worth is connected to your ability to grow a crop. Even though all of these things that are so crucial for you being successful and creating a profit and a yield are out of your control, like weather or commodity prices. And there's a there's a quote that's on Do More Agriculture's page, and it says, I felt like my only worth was in my life insurance policy. And that was something that when I testified to the Standing Committee on Mental Health, I said, and it felt like in that moment, to be trying to follow my dreams, I was digging my own grave. And that's someone who's been farming for three years. That's not someone who's three generations in, four generations in, where it's not just you're failing your family, you're failing the family and the legacy that came before you. And it's so challenging to live with that, but then to talk about it because you don't want people to know you're a failure, especially in the industry. And I think that's one of the most challenging things with mental health and agriculture is you don't want people to know that you're struggling because you're not a good farmer if you're struggling. You're not a good farmer if you don't have a good crop. And we need to be able to somehow throw those two ideologies out the window because there are so many things that do not factor into whether we are a good farmer or not. And our our ability to you know have a great crop after a hailstorm or a frost or flea beetles, that's out of our control. You know, To be dealing with anxiety and stress and depression that's again, that's chemical reactions that does not influence whether we're good farmers or not. And there's just so much support in that space needed, whether that's community support or working within the framework of your bankers or your input providers so that they understand and can pick up because often in busy seasons, they're the only people who see farmers. 
and can maybe see, okay, I think there's something wrong here. But, and then to have government support that because you can't, you're in rural areas. You can't just drive an hour to go see a therapist in the middle of seating. You can't just say, oh, I need a mental health break. So I'm going to take the day off. You don't have that luxury. You're on a timeline that's dictated by weather. And so it's, it's such a challenging piece. And one of the things that really blew me away coming to farming and agriculture and, and rural Saskatchewan was the accepted method of coping with all of these things. Instead of talking, instead of seeing a doctor, instead of getting a prescription to help with your depression or anxiety is alcohol. And to me, that is on top of the mental health piece and everyone just holding everything inside and, and self-medicating, that's tearing families apart. And that's also leading to the suicide that we have in our industry. Right. You have touched on so many important factors there in, you know, connecting our self-worth to what crops we produce. And one quote that I've heard, and I wish I can remember who I heard this from was, you are not your farm. You are a person and your farm is a business. And though that might be your family business, that might be your legacy, you are still a human. And there are so many factors that go into farming that are completely out of your control. And that is one thing that I still struggle with to this day of not being in control of, you know, basically your fate or your your destiny of whether you are going to be able to afford to seed your field next year due to whatever it was. And it's, I kind of chuckled here back in 2016, you know, you had too much water in your field. And now fast forward to 2021, 2022, we are experiencing some of the driest drought in the hottest weather that we've ever had. And that just goes to show you that no two years are alike. And uh, one of the things that I have heard over and over again, and something that kind of gives me solace is, you know, once we're we're done, people, you know, they ask you, well, how was how did it go this year? And an answer that I've heard and an answer that I've adopted is, well, we get to do it again next year. So, you know, if that's any consolation for people listening, you know, it does get better and we do get better. And the work that you have done, Megs, as along with some other incredible people I know in our country and I know in the states that are doing the same to make mental health resources more available and more talked about. I think that's something that, you know, has been, it was so, it was such a hush, hush comment. And like you said, instead of going to get the help through a doctor or a therapist, people were turning to alternative methods of alcohol or drugs in our industry instead of getting, you know, the help that they needed. Where do you think we are today in terms of the supports for mental health in agriculture? Are are there enough supports? Are we doing enough? What improvements have you seen? I've definitely seen improvements in and around the stigma piece. You know, when I first, after 2016, I started blogging and, and sharing. And that was really cathartic for me to be able to talk about my struggles and just not even need someone to interact with them, but just get them off my chest and put them out there. And what I found through that process was people started reaching out to me personally and privately to share their stories or to say, I've been there, it's going to get better, or I'm there too, you're not alone in that. And it's been really incredible to see that, you know, where I started and where others started, like, like you said, there's so many people trying to have this conversation and really move this forward. But so much of that initially was private. And now so many of those people that would have sent that private message before, they're sharing publicly because they understand how that can help not only just with the stigma piece, but how it can help others to see that and to know that I'm not the only one here or someone else has been through this or someone else is struggling the same way I am. And here's something they're doing that's worked for them. Or I don't need to put pressure on myself like that. And it is okay to stop for 10 minutes to have a meal in the field and see my family, all of those things, because other people are saying, Hey, we're there, we're doing this. Doomer Agriculture in Canada, the foundation that was launched in, I want to say 2017. Uh, don't quote me on that. I mean, that has been incredible and in the work that they're doing to really bring awareness 
and then on the policy side to really lobby government with different programs, but also, you know, trying to create a network across Canada, but then also share like with flooding and stuff that went on in BC, they were working with MPs and MLAs in BC to say, here's, here's our resources. You need people that are trained in agriculture to have these conversations. Like you, you need to be on the ground doing this. And so I think that Do More has been incredible for really continuing to push mental health conversation and support structure forward in Canada. But so much of it, again, comes down to all of the individuals that are brave enough to say, here's my story. Here's what's going on. Like that that is what's going to normalize and humanize more than than anything else can. It's just people saying, this is where I'm at. The other thing that I think has been really incredible, and this wasn't intentionally done for agriculture, but before COVID, therapy was starting to shift to more online. And now with COVID, there was a lot of apps like BetterHelp, where you can find a therapist online and you can do those sessions from your cell phone or your computer, and it can be a call or video, or you can even text your therapist. And that is such an amazing tool for people on farms and in rural areas because you don't have the time to drive two hours. And then if someone's in your community, you probably don't want to use them because you don't want the people in your community to know that you're going to see so-and-so. And so to be able to be in the tractor and be like, I'm, I need to talk to someone. This is, you know, I've been in the tractor 14 hours a day this week. All I'm doing is running over the numbers and the bills and everything in my head. Every single hour that I'm sitting here, I need someone to talk to. And now there's that resource online. Yeah, that is so true. And, you know, there are definitely many more negatives from COVID that happened than there were positives. But some of the positives that did happen were definitely the better online resources for mental health specifically. And going back to the stigma of it, you know, the stigma of mental illness and mental health, you know, goes far beyond our industry. Coming from outside industries in, there were times where, you know, though we encouraged others to take care of their mental health in the industry that I came from, it was never really encouraged from within. It was, you know, you keep going, you keep pushing. And it's it's really sad that people get to the point where they just feel like they are so alone and there's nothing left for them. So if I can take a minute here to share with you and the others, you know, it does get better. And, you know, you hear that over and over again from so many different people, but you're hearing this from me, that it does get better. And I can't thank you and the others enough who have shared their personal story and their personal journey with mental health online. Because I know from my experience of getting those messages from other people saying that you're not alone, it does get better, or I'm right here with you, or thank you for sharing your story. You've given me the confidence and the courage to share my own. I think, like what you said, that is going to be what keeps driving the conversation forward. Now we need the policy piece to take that conversation and make a change or make it in an action. So what are your hopes for the future, Megs, when it comes to mental health resources and actions moving forward? Well, I would say just like not just agriculture, but I would love society to get to a place where, you know, someone's struggling with depression where they just can't get out of bed that day. It's okay for them to call in. It's no different than saying, I've got the flu, like I'm taking a sick day. We're not there, but that's where we need to get to. And for employees and schools and just people in general to to have compassion. And even if you don't understand, be willing to try to have that conversation and understand. But you don't need to understand something or understand the path that someone else is walking to support them. And we really need, from the policy standpoint to have those networks in place that, you know, we don't have enough support systems when it comes to therapists and counselors or even hospitals that you can go check yourself into, whether that's drug or alcohol uh, related, you know, you could just need a week or you just need a week and that's okay. In Germany, they don't do a lot of mental health and agriculture yet. It's starting to change. But what they've done is they just get to the point where they're burnt out and they check themselves into a hospital for a week and kind of recoup there and and at least that is supported right like for us to have stuff like that and i think for all of that too and especially from a policy piece for the understanding to be there that so many of the 
addictions and drug issues, whether that is, you know, someone being criminally charged for being caught with a small amount of something or, you know, the substance abuse that that is linked to mental health. And you can't break that cycle without having very, very strong support systems in place for mental health and then actually helping facilitate people get access to them. Right. And it all comes down to access and especially in a rural setting. There is so many things that are linked to access when it comes to helps and supports and community, all of these things. So like I said, going online with all of this has hopefully helped a lot of people. And I'm going to make sure to post a link to the BetterHelp app in our show notes for listeners and folks who haven't heard of BetterHelp. I know that has been a big resource in this household, and I'm sure to post that link there. Just on one final note on that for anybody listening, I think that therapy is one of the best things that anyone can do. You don't need to be, you know, struggling with stress or anxiety or depression or any other, you know, an addiction or something to reach out for therapy. I think it is an incredibly healthy way just when we look at, you know, okay, we want to eat right. We want to exercise. I think that therapy is something that fits into that picture because we all come with baggage. The things that, you know, we lived through when we were kids, our parents had baggage, their parents were in World War II, all of these things, right? And just to be more aware and learning and evolving as people, therapy is a wonderful way to do that. Yeah, absolutely. And that actually brings a memory up from an interview that I did. Gosh, it had been last year. Adrienne DeSutter, she is a therapist and a farmer down in the States. And she's done a lot of work and done many great things for mental health and agriculture in the US. And one of the things that she had said to me, they had lost a friend of a friend or a loved one through suicide. And it was a big wake up call for them and their family. And it was not the fact that something happened directly to them. But let's get the supports in place so we don't get to the point where things are so bad that we need to, you know, be checked in somewhere or do things like put these little, you know, things in place in order to be preventative of the struggles that you may have. So have somebody that you can talk to and be a support. And, you know, that might be your partner or that might be your parents or uh, a friend or somebody in the community that you can turn to and talk to. But I always think like, you know, if we're, if we're going back to putting tools in your toolbox, like have these tools in place. So if you have a breakdown, you have something there that you can turn to and get things back and going sooner. Because not only is it a benefit to you personally, but it's a benefit to your loved ones and your family and your community and your farm. So that is so great. Let's raise a fork to the food we love and the people who produce it. Canada's Agriculture Day is on February 22nd, 2022. You can celebrate Canadian agriculture and food both online and with friends, family, and co-workers and let everyone know how you feel about this awesome industry. How you celebrate is up to you. Create mouth-watering moments by cooking an all-Canadian meal. Get social and post a photo or video celebrating Canadian egg and use the hashtag Canadian Egg Day to join the conversation. Just have fun and show your egg pride and make some noise for Canadian agriculture. Join us online for a huge party and to be part of an important conversation. You can get resources, celebration ideas, and more at canadianagday.ca or head to the link in today's show notes. I want to turn now to going back to something that we chatted about a little bit earlier before and farmers perhaps not agreeing with other farmers on the internet. And this is something that I know you and I have personally dealt with and we've spoke about before, but give us your perspective and the damage that some of this is doing, let's say to your, your previous life. From a consumer standpoint, seeing farmers argue on the internet and from your perspective, what do you think that's doing to the reputation of folks in agriculture? 
definitely isn't doing any positives. That's for sure. It's yeah, it's not just the arguing with someone outside of the industry about a point or, you know, a school putting up a billboard and everyone attacking the school instead of taking a moment to have a conversation about, you know, to to share their side of the story and, and hear the other. But there is a lot of within the industry attacking of each other. And it's not just an egg. It's it's social media. I like to say, if you're not going to say something to your mom's face, you probably shouldn't say it online. Also, if you have more than two responses to a thread and they're not constructive or positive, then it's an argument, walk away. But yeah, there's, you know, when you social media, everything is very open, it's very public, and it lives there. And, you know, if somebody is attacking someone else, defaming them, trying to make them look like a bad person or someone who's not qualified to do their job, people from outside the industry and people from inside the industry see that. And why would you ever want to stick a toe into that water to have a conversation? Why would you ever want to chance subjecting yourself to that treatment? And there's so many people that are on there that are the people that are doing these things. They don't care. But the problem is that it hurts the entire industry. And there needs to be more people within the industry who start calling these people out and asking them to stop doing what they're doing. Because it's when you see that from outside the industry, it makes farmers look like we're ignorant. It takes us back about 100 years and it's not doing any favors. And when there, we already have this gap in in trust from a consumer standpoint, how is how is being <laughs> negative and inflammatory and attacking other individuals and defamation of character going to help create that trust so that you can keep doing what you need to do on the farm? It's not. It takes me back to a tweet that went, I'll call it viral, a while ago that you shared. And it was a question that was asked of me through sharing that tweet. And it was from a gentleman in agriculture. Meg, you had shared a tweet in 2021 about using the term farm wife and how in the industry you feel that, you know, using that term can be a negative to some women and can be a disservice. I'm obviously generalizing this quote for you and you correct me if I'm wrong afterwards, but there were so many responses there and both positive and there were obviously lots of negative but the positives that I saw from that tweet give me hope and give me hope to continue to share my own personal story as a woman in agriculture but one of the questions that was asked of me from a gentleman because I had shared this tweet and I said there's both good and negative here but the negative really paints a bad picture for us here in agriculture of any gender and the gentleman had asked me if I thought that Twitter was an accurate representation of any industry and specifically of agriculture. And I had responded to him that the people that are behind these screens are real people in our industry. They are using their words that came from their mind through their fingertips. So unless these folks are completely changing their tune from behind their screen to in real life, this is who they are. This is who they're portraying themselves to be. So though we all may not think that, you know, the same way that these people are thinking and acting online, we're not standing up for it and we're not disagreeing with them. So I feel like in that sense, we are encouraging it to happen. And I get that not everybody feels comfortable in using their voice publicly by standing up for something that they think is right or what somebody else is doing is wrong. But there's other ways to do it. There's other ways to change the narrative in agriculture that's offline. And I get people are doing it every day. So going back to the tweet. Meg, read the tweet that we are referring to and give us your reaction of what happened following that. So the tweet that I put out in September was, why are so many in agriculture still pushing the farm wife narrative? Show me another industry where the wife is labeled 
and defined by her husband's role. Let's rec- recognize women as individuals, not extensions of their husbands. Now, that was never meant to, and it was twisted a bit, be taken as an attack on women who choose the term farm wife or the role farm wife. I want women to be empowered to find the role that makes them happy on their farm, in their life, in society, and to be able to claim all the different titles that they choose to wear with pride. And if that is farm wife, I 110% support you and stand behind you. What I have seen in the industry is that when the term is applied to another woman by someone else, not by her choosing, but by someone else, it is done in a derogatory type of way. It means that they don't understand what's going on on the farm. It means that they don't possibly run the equipment. It means that they shouldn't be involved in the purchasing of equipment or the conversations with bankers. They should be making the meals and raising the children. That's their role. And again, if that's the role you choose to take on, I have nothing against that. I fully support it. But women should get to choose their roles. And until we see women being supported as equals in our industry, we're never going to be able to fully achieve what is possible within agriculture. And, you know, to your comment on on things just being online, and maybe it's just, maybe people just feel more comfortable behind the computer. And that's where it stays. It's not a true representation of how people are in the real world. If that were the case, you wouldn't have women quitting the industry for sexual harassment and sexual assault. You wouldn't have women that are scared to go to farm shows because that someone who is stalking them online is going to be there. You wouldn't have women scared to do on-farm visits because of how the farmer there is going to treat them. You wouldn't have women being shut out of the conversation and not emailed, not phoned by the salesperson or by the banker saying, well, actually, no, I need to talk to your husband when the wife is perfectly capable and quite possibly maybe the one who does those conversations because she has a better handle of it. I wrote something. So when I when this kind of all blew up, I went back and looked because I had been blogging. And so I went back and I found a blog post that I had done because I I never wanted to be a stay-at-home mom. And I, I struggled with that, being on the farm and I didn't have my family out here and I had two girls under the age of two. I was farming full time. They were coming in the cabs with me. I was trying to do cooking and all of that stuff. And so this was something that I wrote in 2016 during harvest. I have felt added pressure living in a small farm community to step back from my roles on the farm and be a stay-at-home mom. The kind of amazing woman who tends to the kids, keeps up with the chores and turns out incredible meals to feed the masses, especially during seeding and harvest but that is not who I am and it doesn't make me happy. Truthfully, it makes me resentful for having those expectations tossed on me just because I bore a couple of kids. I have the utmost respect for women in that role, but of all the hats I wear, this isn't my career choice. When I'm asked what I do, I say farmer, because yes, I am a mom and I am a wife, but those roles, while important, are not my career. I am a farmer. I, (laughs) back in September when, uh, that tweet had gone out and the response from that tweet. I put myself back in the shoes of the woman and the farmer and the farm wife I was back when I started in 2017. And I was so lost and I didn't know what my role was going to be and what my place in agriculture was going to be. And for me myself, I felt like I had to call myself a farm wife because I wasn't capable of doing all of the roles on a farm that I thought a farmer would do. And it wasn't until I started to branch out and meet other women doing incredible things on their farms that maybe didn't directly impact what was happening in the day-to-day operations, but they were supporting the farm. And in my mind that's a farmer. And I personally, I don't give a rat's ass what you choose to call yourself. If that's a farm wife, you wear that title with pride and you shout it from the rooftop. If you want to be called a farmer and somebody calls you a farm wife, you have the right to correct them and tell them that, no, I am a farmer. Um, It has been, you know, a hill that I have been willing to die on for the last five years. And I will continue to die on this hill. And I will continue to support women who want to change the narrative. And I will also support the women who want to keep 
the narrative the same for themselves, but support other women wanting what they need for themselves. That is key because of some of the attacks that I had for having this conversation came from women who did not think I should be having the conversation. And again, if we're truly there supporting each other, what I'm saying with everyone having being empowered to take on that role, because I think there are so many women in our industry that would love to be called a farmer and to call themselves a farmer. And they don't feel to your comment that they can take that role on. If the farm does not run without you, if it cannot function without you, you're an integral piece of that operation. As far as I'm concerned, you are also a farmer. You know, if you look at other industries, you know, if you're a production worker in manufacturing, you don't, you, you get to call yourself to say that you're in manufacturing. You don't need to own the company to be able to say that you are in manufacturing. You're an important piece of that operation. And yeah, I just, I think that there's so many, and I know from private messages of women reaching out, I'm, wow, I, I feel empowered to have this conversation with, you know, my fiance's family coming into the farm. That's not their farm family and be supported to do so. And, and even some of the men that were, I asked my wife what she wanted to be called. You know, we've been farming together for 30 years. I've never asked her that. And she said, farmer. And I was okay with, you know, like, I thought that was great. So it's, it's, it's wonderful to be having the conversation, but it, it's still, like you said, it's, it's not something we can just drop because we're not at a point where you are able to claim that role and, and to have people not call you out. Like, well, why do you think you're a farmer? Why do you deserve to have that title? Like, I don't, I think you're just, you know, like that's, that's the the reality of where we're at. For me, it comes down to your self-worth and your value and how you perceive yourself to be. If you perceive yourself to be integral to your operation or not. And I think there's a lot of women specifically who struggle with that. And there have been so many strides made in this industry since, you know, I think back to my husband's Baba, who came here from Ukraine, and I, that woman is my hero. If you asked her what she was, she would say she was a farm wife. But in my eyes, she was a farmer just as much as her husband was, and maybe even more sometimes, because I think she wore even more hats than he did. And, you know, you and I are on the same wavelength when it comes to, you know, we get to define who we are and whatever roles that we choose are our choosing and nobody else's. So I want to thank you for continuing that conversation and having that conversation. And, you know, I'm so dang proud of you for handling it the way that you did with grace and with empathy towards women in agriculture, because I think it would have been really easy to get mad at the people who spoke out against you, who made all of the jokes, who did whatever it was. And I like to think that I would handle it similarly, but uh, I don't know if I would have been able to, depending on the day, but you did great. And you are an inspiration for other women in agriculture and more specifically for your daughters to know that they have a role and a place in this industry, no matter what they want to do. If they want to choose to continue to be farmers, they can. And you are doing that for other women and their daughters in this industry. So thank you. Well, thank you for everything you do as well. Like it's, you know, back to that, it takes a village and that that is where we're at, not just with raising children, but, you know, both of us, we had strong women that came before us, whether that was in agriculture and in other areas of life so that we could go to university and have the right to vote and all of those things. And I think that, you know, when, when we're able to, to be in that place and have the, the network possible, like, I think there's a lot of responsibility that comes with having a platform to use it, but also, you know, to have the, not just the confidence, but the ability to take all the crap that, yeah, you need to, you need to have conversations and call stuff out and, and try to, if you're in a role where you can try to be that inspiration or to break the glass ceilings and, and not just do that, but help others up in the process that that's important. And we need more of that. (laughs) Yeah, we need more of that stuff on the internet. (laughs) Oh, it has been, it's been great talking to you today. Megs, thank you so much for sharing your story. My last question for you is what is the most rewarding part about being a farmer for you? Well, um, not actively farming anymore. But for me, 
the most rewarding part of being in agriculture is the people. It has been the people that I've met online. It has been the people that I've met all over the world. And through those people and those conversations, being able to continue to advocate for agriculture and for policy, because this is such an incredible industry. Obviously, it is important. We all need to eat. But I think agriculture has such an amazing piece to play in being part of the solution moving forward. And I just so want to be a part of that and and to continue helping move that in in a direction that is positive for those on the ground and being connected to everybody and and knowing what they're doing and for everybody who shares that to me is my favorite part that's perfect and you know whether you are directly sowing those seed meg or continuing to do what you do you are a part of agriculture and we're damn lucky to have you so thank you for the listeners who would like to connect with you after the show, where can they find you online? I am on Twitter, Megs Reynolds. I'm also on Instagram, not Megs. I created that a long time ago. And those are the two main ones that I use outside of LinkedIn. Perfect. And I will link those in the show notes so people can find you and connect with you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Rural Woman Podcast. Special thanks to our Patreon executive producer, Sarah Reedner of Happiness by the Acre, and to my editor, Max Hofer. For show notes, head on over to wildrosefarmer.com. You can connect with me on social media using the handle at wildrosefarmer on all platforms. If you love the show, make sure you're subscribed wherever you listen to podcasts, plus share it with a friend. We'll see you next time. Did you know that you can get this same great episode of the Rural Woman podcast ad-free? I get it. Listening to ads during a podcast isn't always my favorite either. But in order to keep the lights and coffee pot on here at the Rural Woman podcast studios, they are necessary. I am so grateful to each and every one of my sponsors, but if you yourself would like to skip the ads while supporting the show, consider joining me over on Patreon. Patrons of the Rural Woman podcast get ad-free episodes starting at tier five on their podcast player of choice each week, plus some other great benefits. Find out more by heading to the link in today's show notes to learn how you can become a patron through Patreon.